this morning as we have uh, gathered together to worship. It's good to uh, uh, to be back with y'all, and we enjoyed our week in Louisville, and uh, just a great time, uh, time of encouragement. I appreciate the opportunity to go and, uh, uh, and and be fed in that, so so thank you, and uh, um, we will be back back on schedule. Maybe we won't have a tornado Wednesday night, and I can do the Bible study I prepared four weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> From the book of Ecclesiastes, the four or five weeks ago, it's been a while since. Uh, so, uh, um, our call to worship this morning will come from Exodus, Exodus chapter thirty-three. Exodus chapter thirty-three. Today we'll be considering the the fruit of the spirit is long suffering, and uh, here in Exodus chapter thirty-four is the first time the word long suffering is used in the scripture. And it's used to show us that it's an attribute of God. And as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering is an attribute of God that he communicates to us, that he shares with us. And the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. So we will be, um, be thinking of, of that today. And so Exodus chapter 33, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 as Moses speaks to the Lord from the top of Mount Sinai. Exodus 33, 13. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your president does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory then he said i will make all my goodness pass before you and i will proclaim the name of the lord before you i will be gracious to whom i will be gracious and i will have compassion on whom i will have compassion but he said you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live and the lord said here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock so it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning. And come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud, and stood with them there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, 
the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. Even though we are a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you praise today. Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Lord, we give you praise because you are gracious and merciful God, patient with us, long-suffering with us, enduring uh, so much rebellion from us, your people. And so, Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace that you have not given us that which we deserve, that which we have earned. And Lord, we thank you for your grace in Christ Jesus, that you are merciful, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. But we praise you because you are also just and you will by no means clear the guilty. And Lord, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to take the punishment, the penalty that we deserve, the guilt that was on us, laid upon him, so that your justice and righteousness would be satisfied and your mercy and your grace could be given to us. Lord, we give you praise for your provision for us in Christ Jesus, for your mercy and your grace that you freely offer to us by faith. And Lord, we pray that we would see your glory, that we would behold your majesty, and that your spirit would enable us and empower us to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, come with us and give us rest. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, I invite you to take your hymnals and turn to hymn 460. All right, if you would, take your Bibles as we continue to worship and turn with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. We continue to look at Paul calling the Galatian churches not to walk in the flesh, trying to earn God's acceptance through their own effort and their own willpower and their own good works, but to rest in God's grace and salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And he encourages them not to walk in the flesh and produce the works of the flesh, but to walk in the spirit who will produce his fruit in their lives. And so... uh, We're continuing to look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit today, and I'll begin reading in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, uh, to set our passage today in its context. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. For which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who you sent to give us new life, or to make us alive, to grant us the grace of repentance and faith, and to give us new life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we also thank you for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, producing his fruit in us, Christ-like characteristics, Christ-like actions, Christ-like attitudes. And Lord, we're thankful for the Holy Spirit that gives us gifts that we might serve to build up the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would grant me grace this day as I, as I preach and as I speak forth your word. Lord, that your spirit would take your word and plant it deep in us. Help us to hear, help us to understand, help us to believe. And Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit. And may he produce his fruit in us. And may our neighbors look at us and say, we know that they are disciples, that they are followers of Jesus because of their love and their forbearance with one another. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so today we're going to look at uh, 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 a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. We've looked at love joy and peace and today we focus our attention on the fruit of the spirit is long suffering now some of you may have in your translations the word patient any of you have patient in your translation um this long suffering and and when i uh when i was a young kid in bible school i learned a song and the song went something like the fruit of the spirit is not an orange the fruit of the spirit is not an orange if you want to be an orange you might as well hear it The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so that song, that's how I memorized the the fruit of the Spirit. And so that has the word patience, but this word long-suffering is actually more than just patience. When I think of the word patience, I kind of think of, uh, uh, you know, just a settled calmness awaiting a future anticipated event. You know, we could say that that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is patience as we live in enemy territory, awaiting the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, uh, patiently awaiting an anticipated event. Or we could think of patience as being able to calmly endure difficult circumstances and and just wait patiently until those circumstances that can be caused by, by people or any other outward thing, we just patiently endure 
and wait for resolution or wait for uh, things to get better. But this word long-suffering means so much more than patience. Um, the word long-suffering is uh, actually two words, long and suffering. And the word long is the Greek word macro. You may have heard the word macro. It just means long, uh, a long endurance of time. And the word translated suffering, when used alone, is translated in the New Testament to mean wrath. Long withholding, restraining of wrath and anger. And so this word is a compound word, long of wrath. And, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, Paul has talked about the, the uh, uh, fruit of the, the works of the flesh. In verse 20, he talks about outburst of wrath. Well, long-suffering would be the opposite of that. A restraining of wrath, a holding back of wrath, an endurance of wrong. And, and, and the different, another difference between long-suffering and patience, patience can, can be something... Um, that is endured by circumstances or by people, but long-suffering always refers to enduring wrong done to you by other people. And so it is a restraining, a holding back of anger, a holding back of bitterness and resentment, a holding back of wrath when having been wronged by another person. And there was a lot of dissension, there was a lot of conflict, a lot of trouble in the Galatian churches as we've talked about as we have gone through the book of Galatians. Uh, Paul talks about some of those things. He talks about them uh, uh, biting and devouring one another, uh, being conceited and provoking one another, envying one another. There was a lot of strife, there was a lot of turmoil, there was a lot of dissension, there was a lot of conflict within the church because people were relying on their flesh. The false teachers had come in and talked to them about a false gospel that they must uh, add law to grace and works to faith and self-effort to the work of Christ. And so they were working, they were walking in their flesh, trying to earn salvation, trying to do good works, trying to be good enough. They were using their own strength, their own power, their own energy to try to produce good works. And yet they were instead producing the works of the flesh, those, those, uh, the hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, ambitions, dissensions, envy, all of those things. Because when we're working in our own effort, when we're trying to earn salvation by our own strength, by our own works, we look around at other people and we try to compare ourselves to them. We look around at other people and see how am I doing in keeping the law? How am I doing in doing good works? How am I doing in, in producing uh, right actions and right attitudes? And I look around and I compare myself with others. And if I'm doing others better than others, well, I might be proud. I might be arrogant. Look how much better I'm doing at producing works than all these other people around me. But if I look around and I see somebody that's doing better than me, well, then I might be jealous or envious. I might even be angry and I might try to take them down a notch or two so that I can look better than them. And if somebody does that to me, if somebody looks at me and is jealous and envious and wants to take me down a notch or two, well then I might be angry, really 
angry. And so if you're trying to earn salvation, if you're trying to work your way into heaven, then you're working in the power of your flesh and you will produce the works of the flesh. Those dissensions, hatred, contentions, jealousies, and outbursts of wrath. Well, long-suffering is the opposite of the outburst of wrath. And you know, when you think about long-suffering, that there may not be a more difficult thing for us to do than to endure injustice and to endure harm, wrong that people do to us with a calm and gentle spirit. There may not be anything more difficult for us to do than to suffer wrong and to restrain our anger, to restrain our wrath, to hold back what we, everything within us cries out for justice. Everything within us wants to get even. Everything within us wants to, to punish the evildoer. Everything within us wants vengeance, wants to vindicate self. Perhaps there's nothing more difficult for us to do than to be long-suffering, to restrain our anger and guard ourselves not just from actions and retaliation and vengeance, but maybe even harder to guard our hearts from bitterness and hatred, resentment. Probably nothing harder for us to do than to be long-suffering. It goes against everything we are. It goes against our nature. But the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit enables us and empowers us to do what we cannot do on our own. And the Holy Spirit produces a fruit of long-suffering. An ability to restrain wrath to refrain from trying to get even. As Christians, we are not to repay evil with evil. As Christians, we're called not to curse those who persecute us, but to love our enemies. As Christians, we're called not to avenge, but to give room to wrath. Because the Lord says, vengeance is mine. And we trust the Lord to someday make everything right. And so I, as, I, as I share this, I, I realize that restraining of wrath, not seeking retaliation, vengeance, and guarding our hearts from anger and bitterness when we are wrong, is probably one of the most difficult things that we are called to do as Christians. We can't do it on our own. That's why Paul says you must walk in the Spirit. And so we can be long-suffering. First thing we do is we can look at the examples that we have of long-suffering in the Scripture. And then we recognize that we fall short. And we cry out to God for forgiveness, for cleansing, and for the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would produce His fruit of long-suffering in us. And so let's begin with the examples. The examples. We can look back to examples of long suffering. And as I said earlier, the very first time in the scripture that the word long suffering is used, it's there in Exodus chapter 34. 
where God reveals long-suffering as being an attribute of his, a characteristic of his. And you think of the context, well, uh, Exodus 33 and 34 come right after Exodus chapter 32. And you remember what happened in Exodus chapter 32. God had brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He had brought them out of bondage. He had brought them out of slavery. And as he was bringing them out of slavery, he put in the hearts of the Egyptians to give them gold and to give them jewelry and to give them uh, all these resources as they came out uh, of Egypt and went to Mount Sinai. God brought his people to Mount Sinai and there he would give them the law. Now very important to note that uh, God is not giving them the law to tell them how to be saved, how to be his people because they are already his people because of his sovereign choice. He chose them to be his people. He's not giving them the law to tell them how to be saved. He's already saved them. He delivered them. He brought them out of slavery and bondage and brought them to Mount Sinai. And so he is not giving them the law to tell them how to be his people, how to be saved. He's giving them the law to tell him how to live as his people, his saved people, his delivered people. And so he gives them the law to tell them how to be his people and how to be holy and separate, set apart. Well, Moses went up on the mountain. He was there a long time. And the people began to murmur and grumble and said, we don't know what happened to Moses. Aaron, why don't you make for us gods to take us back to Egypt? And so they took their jewelry that the Egyptians had given them as they were leaving. They took that gold and they gave it to Aaron and Aaron fashioned it into a golden calf. And when the people saw the calf, they said, These, this is your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And they declared that tomorrow would be a feast to this God. And in the morning they rose up, they sacrificed to this calf. They rose up to eat and to drink. They sat down to eat and to drink and they rose up to play. That's Exodus chapter 32. God had brought his people out of Egypt. He had brought them to Mount Sinai and they rebelled against him and said, this calf is your God to Israel who has brought you out of, out of Egypt. And God said to Moses in uh, Exodus chapter 32, verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. God announces his wrath. Let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And God had every right to release his wrath and to consume them there. God had every right to pour out his wrath and destroy the nation and start over again with Moses. That was God's right. They had rebelled. They had sinned. And the wages of their sin was death. God was right and just to be angry. But Moses interceded for the people. Moses prayed for the people. And then we read that God relented from what he had said. And Moses asked for reassurance and said, show me your glory. And when the Lord appeared to Moses, he proclaimed his name, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, 
long-suffering and abounding in mercy and truth. That's the first time in the scripture the word long-suffering appears, and it is revealed as an attribute of God. God is merciful and gracious and restrains his wrath. He does not give the people that which they deserve. He does not do what is his right to do. But instead he restrains his wrath. He holds back his wrath and shows his mercy. Not giving them that which they deserve. We see God is long suffering. It's an attribute of God and it's an attribute that he communicates to us through the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is long suffering. Not doing what you, everything within you cries out to do and what you might even have a right to do in order to get angry. But merciful, restraining that anger, restraining that wrath. Well, you know, the second time that the word long suffering appears in the scripture, the first time, Exodus chapter 34, after God's people had made a golden calf and said, this is your God that's brought you out of Egypt. Well, about a year later, God had led his people to the banks of the promised land. They had gone through the wilderness. They had gone from Mount Sinai to the the, the boundaries of the promised land. And they're ready to move into that land just a year after Mount Sinai. And they send 12 spies into the land. They send 12 spies into the land. And the spies go and they go throughout the land. And they come back and they say, oh, yes, it is indeed A land flowing with milk and honey. It's a wonderful land, a rich land. But there is a significant problem. There are giants in the land. There are big walled cities. And the people are so big, they look superhuman. And we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And that's how we appear to the inhabitants of the land. As little bitty pesky grasshoppers that they can stomp out and destroy very easily. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, but the Lord has given this land to us. We must go and take it. But ten of the spies just emphasized the fact that they were grasshoppers in the land. And who did the people listen to? Who did the nation listen to? A majority ruled. Ten to two, and so they went with the ten. And God says to Moses, how long will these people reject me? This is Numbers chapter 14. How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses interceded for the people. Moses prayed for the people. And he prays. Now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but he by no means clears the guilty. And so Moses reminds the Lord of what he said to him at Mount Sinai, you are long-suffering. Do not destroy these people he says pardon the iniquity of these people I pray I pray according to the greatness of your mercy just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt and even now then the Lord said I have pardoned according to your word but truly as I live all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord and so again God is long-suffering 
every right to destroy these people. They had seen his signs, they had seen his wonders, they had been brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand, they had been brought through the wilderness, and now they were afraid. They did not believe the promises and the word of God, and they rebelled against him. And God would have been perfectly justified and perfectly right in, in wiping them out, sending the pestilence and destroying them and starting over with Moses. But God restrained his wrath. God held back his anger. And God showed mercy. Now it's also important to us to note that when God responds with mercy, that does not remove wrath. Long-suffering does not imply the eradication of wrath, but the holding back of wrath. And so God responded with mercy. And he says, I am long-suffering, I am gracious, I am merciful, I forgive iniquity and transgressions. But then he also says, I will by no means clear the guilty. And so when God responds with long-suffering, he is merciful and does not give what is deserved what is earned he does not send out a fire from his wrath and consume them he does not send a pestilence to devour them he holds back what they deserve he shows mercy and when we sin and rebel against God for the most part God responds to us with mercy God is long-suffering but mercy does not mean the removal of wrath but simply the postponement of it God is merciful and gracious, but he will by no means clear the guilty. And so when God responds to us, when God is long-suffering, when God is merciful to us, we need to use that time of mercy to accept his grace. You see, God is merciful and gracious, but he is also just, and he must punish the guilty. And in God's grace... God sent his son, Jesus. How does he satisfy both his justice and his mercy? He sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against every single person who will ever come to Jesus in repentance and faith. Justice, righteousness, wrath was poured out on Jesus for all who believe. And now grace is available to all who will turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ. God has been merciful. He has held back what we deserve. He did not cast us into hell at our first sin. And we need to take advantage of this hour of mercy and respond to Jesus with repentance and faith. And believe that his wrath has been satisfied. His wrath has been turned away by Jesus. Turned away from all who will come to him in repentance and faith. Take advantage of this moment of mercy to receive his grace by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we see God, we see an example of long-suffering. He would have been completely righteous and justified. He had every right to destroy his people both those times. But instead we read that the Lord is long-suffering. He holds back his anger. He restrains his wrath. He shows mercy and offers grace to all who believe. And so God the Father is an example of long-suffering. We also see that God the Son is an example of long-suffering. You read through the Gospels and you see Jesus. You know, how how Jesus is patient against, is long-suffering as the religious leaders come against him. And they accuse him of all kinds of things. They accuse him of being insane. They accuse him of being uh, possessed by a demon. They accuse him of being, of blaspheming God. They accuse him of even being the prince of demons. 
Beelzebub himself. Several times they take up stones and try to kill him. Jesus is long-suffering against those religious leaders. Jesus is even long-suffering against a legion of demons. He comes to this legion of demons who have taken possession of a, of a man. And Jesus has the authority to cast them into the abyss, uh, to be in chains until the final judgment when they'll be cast in the eternal lake of fire. And Jesus is even long-suffering against those demons and gives them the permission to go into a herd of swine. And Jesus is absolutely long-suffering during the events that lead to his crucifixion that lead to his death he could have called a legion of angels to come and rescue him and deliver his enemies into hell for all of eternity but he held back his wrath he was long-suffering and obedient even unto death even death on a cross he was long-suffering and he was obedient and he went to the cross and he endured the wrath that we deserve as he died on the cross, Jesus was an example of long-suffering. He's even long-suffering against his own people, his own men. <laughs> Those men are so slow to understand. They don't understand what he's saying. They can't understand. They see the signs and they still don't uh, understand. They don't interpret it right. Jesus tells them they are slow. They are slow of faith, weak of faith, slow to understand. And even on the last night of his earthly life, oh, poor old Philip says, oh, just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus is long-suffering to Philip and says, Oh, Philip, have I been around you so long and you still don't understand that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Oh, we see his long-suffering. Jesus is a great example of long-suffering. Perhaps there's nothing more difficult for us as Christians to do than to endure injustice. Be wrong. Be sinned against. And endure that injustice, that harm, that pain, with a calm and gentle spirit, guarding our hearts from resentment and bitterness and restraining everything within us that wants to get even, that wants to have vengeance. And one of the ways that we can do that is to look back at the example and to look at God the Father and God the Son and to know that we will never endure as much harm and pain and insult that God the Father and God the Son had to endure. Whatever wrong, whatever harm, whatever happens to us is nothing compared to the rebellion uh, against God the Father and the rebellion against God the Son and his, his rejection, his betrayal, his murder. We will never experience harm and injustice on the level as they. And they are long-suffering. God the Father, God the Son, long-suffering. And, and not only that, not only will, will we never endure more than they endured, we will never endure more sin and rebellion than we personally have committed against God the Father and God the Son in our rebellion and our disobedience and our unbelief. And God was long-suffering toward us. And whatever men might do to us, it does not compare 
to the rebellion that we have committed against God the Father and God the Son in our unbelief. And so we look at that example and we hear the charge. God has been long-suffering toward us. And we ought, therefore, be long-suffering toward one another. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 18 that I'll just read without comment. I think it speaks for itself. Those who have experienced God's long-suffering toward them have a, have a, have a duty and an obligation to be long-suffering towards others. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, we read these words. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall, I, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was bought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were grieved and came and told the master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called them to him, said, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. God has been long-suffering toward us. God has forgiven a debt that we could never pay. And those who have received God's mercy should be merciful to others. The wrong that people do to us does not even begin to compare to the wrong that we have done to God. And he has been long-suffering, patient to us, merciful to us, and even gracious to us, and offering us forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. And he calls us to be long-suffering to one another, to endure wrong without doing everything within our nature that calls out <laughs> to get even, that cries out for vengeance, to restrain that wrath, but also at the same time guard your heart from bitterness. And so I, I, I can't think of anything harder for us to do than to be called to be long-suffering to those who wrong us, to endure injustice and opposition without retaliating or without becoming angry and bitter. But we can look back at the example of God the Father and God the Son and how they've been merciful to us. And we can also look forward to a day when perfect justice will be done. 
God's long-suffering, God's mercy does not cancel wrath, but it postpones it. And when someone wrongs us, ultimately they are sinning against God and not against us. Even after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband Uriah, David says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. God is long-suffering, but he is also just. And we can not return evil for evil. We cannot curse those who harm us. We can be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. We can hold back vengeance because we know that the Lord says vengeance belongs to him. And every sin will be brought to justice. Either if, if those offenders come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, Jesus takes away the wrath that was deserved for that, perfectly satisfying justice and wrath. And if they are unrepentant, then they will spend eternity satisfying God's wrath against their sin. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Justice is perfect and right. God is long-suffering. And, and you know, sometimes God's long-sufferingness, that attribute of God can sometimes be frustrating to us. Those who are oppressed and experiencing injustice and wrong is happening and, and we see God being long-suffering, we see God's mercy, we see God holding back his anger, holding back justice, deferring judgment, and we are afraid. And we're afraid that the enemies of God might see his long-suffering as weakness and that we might be consumed by their injustice before God exacts his righteous judgment. We're afraid that people will see God's long-suffering as weakness, as tolerance. Even Habakkuk cries out to God, how long will you look at all this evil? How long, O Lord, how long? And for those who are Victims of oppression, God's patience, God's long-suffering, God's mercy can be frustrating and even fearful. We might be consumed before God acts. And in the same way, we, we're afraid of being long-suffering. Because we're afraid that our enemies might see that as weakness. And long-suffering can just invite more injustice. More oppression, more harm. We're afraid to be long-suffering. We want justice. We want vengeance. We want retaliation. We want justice. We want the oppressors to get what is coming to them. And we're afraid that if we're long-suffering, we will just invite more injustice and we will be consumed. But we can look forward to the day when justice will be done. When righteousness will be revealed. When perfect vengeance and justice will be served. Probably nothing more hard 
than being long-suffering. That we can look back at the example. We can look up to the sovereignty of God. And we can look forward to the day when justice will be perfect and complete. So we look at this passage, the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering. The fruit of the Spirit, those who have been born again are indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces His fruit, the fruit of long-suffering. It's not something we can work up. And if you're you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've not been born again by the Holy Spirit, you cannot be long-suffering. It is something you cannot do. It is not within your nature. It is not within your power. You cannot work up uh, godly, biblical Long-suffering, it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe you think about that and you think about your response to evil and injustice and oppression and maybe that reveals to you that you've never been born again. And today you will cry out to Jesus. You'll run to Jesus and, and, and receive uh, His grace. Take advantage of this day of mercy where He's withheld from you what you deserve and cry out to Jesus to forgive you and to cleanse you and to give you new life. Be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Get a new nature. And the indwelling spirit that will produce his fruit in your life. Maybe as you think about that, you realize you've never really been born again. You're not indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. And today is the day of salvation. But there are others, you know, our sanctification comes slow. Holy Spirit works uh, progressively as we grow in this. And we think about long-suffering, think about how hard it is. And we look at our own hearts and we see resentment and bitterness and maybe even actions of retaliation of, of uh, uh, something we might have the right to do in self-defense or, or vengeance. And, and we expose our sin when we come to the scripture not so that we might be discouraged or destroyed but so that we might remember how desperately we need the cross of Jesus Christ every single day of our life. Every single day we need forgiveness every single day we need cleansing every single day we need to be reminded that we are sinful and Christ has died for our sins and satisfied God's wrath against us and Christ offers us cleansing every single day we need to come and confess that we fall short of God's holy standard that we're not as godly as Christ-like as we ought to be as we should be as we can be and we confess where we fall short and receive his cleansing and then we cry out we ask for the Holy Spirit to do what we cannot do Forgive me for where I fall short and then help me. Strengthen me. Produce in me your fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. We expose our sins not so that we might be discouraged, but so that we might be reminded that we need forgiveness every single day. And we need power every single day. And we're reliant upon the Holy Spirit to produce His fruit in us. Confess where we fall short and ask for help. And ask for the strength and the grace to walk in the Spirit. That the Spirit of God will produce His fruit in us. The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Enduring harm, injustice, injury, with a calm spirit. Restraining 
the outburst of wrath and guarding our hearts from resentment and bitterness. Like the Lord Jesus, like how God has responded to us, His Holy Spirit empowers us to respond to others and not return evil for evil, not curse those who do harm to us, but to be long-suffering, giving room to wrath because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your grace toward us in Christ Jesus, Lord, and we stand in need of your grace. We are dependent upon you and your Holy Spirit. Lord, we cannot, we cannot produce this fruit through our own effort. We can't work up long-suffering. You command us, but you also empower us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would grant us the grace to walk in the Spirit. And may the Spirit produce in us long-suffering. And may we have a Christ-like attitude, a Christ-like spirit, so the world will see that our light will shine and you will be glorified in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, I'm going to invite you to stand and take your hymn book and turn to him. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that we, he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.